Hello, and welcome to this episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for Scotland's AI strategy. I'm Will Millership from the Scottish AI Alliance. And today I'm joined by two special guests, Valentin Goddard and Chris Speed. Valentin is a United Nations expert in AI policy and governance, and she is the founder and executive director of the AI Impact Alliance. And Chris is a professor of design informatics at the Edinburgh College of Art. And today we're going to be discussing AI, art, and ethics. So without further ado, Valentin, do you think you can tell us a bit about the AI Impact Alliance in Montreal and the work that you do? Hi, yes. Good morning, everybody. I'm really happy to be here in Scotland virtually with you. Um, AI Impact Alliance was founded in the fall of 2017. It is a nonprofit organization that strives in short nutshell to facilitate ethical and responsible AI. Um, The um, perspective, the goal is to have a highly interdisciplinary approach to um, AI ethics. Uh, We integrate the role of arts and advocate for the role of arts in the governance of um, AI, and I can dive into that a little bit later uh, later on. Uh, we are the organizers of um, AI and Social Mission, which is our annual uh, conference, um, which is focused on the social impact of AI. Thank you, Valentin, and welcome. Yeah, welcome to Scotland. It's a shame we can't have you in person, but yeah, lovely to have you anyway. And Chris, could you tell us a bit about uh, the creative informatics and design informatics at the University of Edinburgh and what it is that you guys do? Sure, yeah, and, and nice to join um, folks. Um, I'm not sure whether to say morning or afternoon, depending on what you're listening when you're listening to the podcast. But um, So we've got an Institute of Design Informatics, which was founded in 2012, based on the idea that we put two schools together, School of Design, which is in the College of Art, and the School of Informatics in the College of Science and Engineering. And within there, then we've been exploring a whole bunch of implications for creative practice alongside within concepts of data science. So you can see the umbrella perhaps, or you can imagine the umbrella. And within there, then we have a very large grant called the Creative Informatics Programme. And really that really wants to reach out to the creative industries, which includes arts, cinema, TV, publishing, architecture, fashion, product. You can imagine the creative industries as a sector, if you like. Um, But particularly to address and bring on the data literacy within those communities and really fuel them up, um, give them a chance to have a stake at the table uh, because we see so many of the the parallel industries which are using data science just forge so far ahead. Um, FinTech, and blockchain. Um, We think through ticketing in festivals, but how do you connect the two? And then making sure the artists really have, um, yeah, the fuel in their tank, the ideas, the the, the toolkits to really uh, push and question the ideas, which may well be racing ahead in other different businesses um, in the the digital economy, shall we say. Sounds like a fascinating, yeah, mixture of um, different areas uh, here going on. So um, my first question is um, for you, Valentin. Can you tell us a bit more about your recent um, AI and gra- AI and art grants, and why do you think that this mixture of AI and art is so important? Um, this all started. I'll say I'll try to put that into a short story. The first edition of the AI Social Mission Conference, we had a big black box on stage. Uh, we cut out the sides. The panels could be reglued on as our panelists went through the conference exploring um, different 
implications, political, economical, legal implications, uh, showcasing AI startups and what kind of questions they were dealing with. So as we went through the two-day conference, we would pull down panels, making the black box more transparent. And I remember this one conversation, the panel was an artist, um, a theater artist who had been traveling the world um, on a play. The play was called Dialogue with Siri. And she was exploring internationally how the dialogue would react differently in France or Brazil to words like love, uh, for example. And next to her was um, a young AI startup with a very highly technical perspective. And the discussion got pretty heated at some point as to uh, why transparency was important and how you can bring um, forward more transparency around algorithms, their impact, their use, and how they're deployed in society. And the chief scientific officer of another startup got up and started pulling down one of the panels of our black box and threw it into the crowd. It was just a really magical moment where we started to really um, illustrate the important role of arts in making AI more ethical, more transparent. So that would go back to maybe what Chris was mentioning earlier is that there's a huge role of literacy, algorithmic literacy, but me in that is implied the understanding of ethical, social, um, legal, economic implications to the data curation process, to the algorithmic output. And uh, artists have so much power in being able to engage citizens. So going back to the recent call for proposals that we've put out, that's been based on uh, research that I've been doing for uh, quite a few years now. And uh, one part of that was I had the opportunity to go across Canada with, with the Art Impact AI workshops that was funded by the Canada Art Council and meet with artists from across the country. There are 13 uh, provinces and territories and I had the chance to meet with artists. And that um, led to thousands of uh, notes and hours and that was compiled and presented to the United Nations to literally underscore the role of art in digital um, governance. All that research now has led to a call for proposals in which um, I uh, put together certain criteria as to how we artists can do that. And we got 11 uh, proposals, which might not sound like a lot, uh, but it actually is quite a bit. And most of them, I would say out of all 11 proposals are really high quality. So we're going to have a hard time choosing uh, the, the three main winners, I think we're going to have to give a prize to at least every single proposal um, and, and comment them because it will be uh, really interesting to see. And that's we'll be presenting that November 18th and 19th, uh, coming up very soon. That's fascinating. I can't wait to see the results. I was looking at the website and kind of the focus on human dignity and human rights was something that is really kind of up our street. So I'm um, yeah, looking forward to seeing those uh, results in a few weeks' time. Um, yeah, so Chris, um, maybe you can add to that as you also kind of have a grants program you mentioned and um, why you think it's important to mix uh, the arts and the AI. Yeah, sure. That is fantastic. And, and I, it is, yeah, it's really great to hear what Valentin is doing because it's quite applied. It's very international. Ours is a little bit more regional because that's where the funding has to be orientated. But what we're genuinely finding is there's, there's interesting questions across society about what the value 
of AI is. And therefore, you have to think about the communities that might have the power to recruit AI or develop AI. And that might be a value which has an economic bottom line. And that's, that's fine, right? But having said that, what the wonderful thing artists do is they change that value. They begin to introduce values, just as Valentin says. So they ask the harder questions. In fact, although they do need to have a bottom line, which might be economic, um, nevertheless, they add other things, social, environmental, cultural values. And I'm sure you're aware, um, Will, of the, the, the Scottish idea of triple bottom lines. How do we make sure uh, the things that we invest in have economic, social, cultural, environmental, whatever lines you want? So we, yeah, really excited by um, the questions that artists, the values that artists introduce when we think about what the value is of AI. So, and an example is uh, Pip Thornton, who is a, um, she's now a, a lecturer in the geoscience department, is an artist, and she commissioned a whole bunch of artists to deal with what is Zoom doing? I mean, Zoom's a data-driven piece of software. We're using it to capture this very podcast. It's actually very unclear what happens to the data in the Zoom cloud. Are they selling this conversation? If I shout out Domino's Pizza, is suddenly Valentine going to be sent an advert for one? We, we just don't know. Um, so therefore, what does it do to our faces? We all turned our cameras on when Zoom turned up. So people like artists like Martin Disley began to use uh, StyleGAN, which is um, generative adversarial network um, development tool that allowed him to find a place where, in my personal instance, he could build me a doppelganger. And a, my doppelganger looks a little bit like me because it uses the library of faces to find something that has Chris's attributes that many other people would say, that's not you, Chris, is it? So it actually made a mask. I could go into a Zoom meeting with a mask. Some people would recognize me, but actually it would confuse any cloud-based project that wanted to extract or sell Christmas. So like I say, we really enjoy working with creatives because they really do ask values-based questions that ask about what value is traveling through all of these business models, ultimately. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating um, stuff and also terrifying stuff as well when you kind of think about it. But it's nice to have uh, know that some people are working on that and kind of what can be done. Um, so yeah, my next my next kind of set of questions deal with both, you know, art will be I, um, affecting AI, but also the other way around AI affecting the way art is perceived and uh, carried out. So um, we spoke a little bit about kind of the key roles. That was one of my questions. What do you think the key roles um, AI can play in the arts? So we could start with Valentin. Um, sure, and thank you, Chris. I think I'm going to take your lead on the value that AI can bring in uh, society and answer your, your question to, the, to that at the same time, Will. Um, if I could uh, ask our, our, our listeners and, and viewers to type in www.pair as the fruit, pairai.art. Uh, this is a woman-led feminist uh, intervention in AI that uses algorithmic art to counter gender bias in AI. Uh, the um, International Labor Organization and other institutions have demonstrated how the accelerated digital transformation that we've been going through in the past 18 months um, has a highly um, gendered and regional impact. And that women, uh, if we want to genderify the question, 
will not be the beholders of this value and actually have seen their work opportunities set back by 30 years. And that's only in Canada. I'm not talking about certain countries where it's even worse. Um, so there is a huge economic um, impact to that. So we wanted to address various questions around um, gender, the value that AI can bring in AI, as well as biases that are found in AI. So we decided to focus on gender bias. And to give a fun example about how PairAI.art started, uh, I was having fun with attention GANs as my artist had, and also a lawyer. So I kind of go from law to art. Uh, but that day I was definitely wearing my artist hat and I was, you know, playing around with words. Um, sorry, the sun just came up and just really changing the lighting all of a sudden. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was playing around on the computer. There's this free uh, software anybody can, could, can, can play around with called Runway ML. And in Runway ML, I was uh, putting the words beauty, woman, imperfection, and it generates an image. The image generated with those three words was a pair. I thought, well, what kind of data are they working with if when I put those three words in, it automatically refers to a very stereotypical notion of, of beauty that is, uh, that, that, that's, that's found in, in society. So there's this notion they said that um, called a socio-technical pipeline of um, AI production. So it goes from which kind of social bias and historical bias already exists, which kind of questions an organization might choose to ask or not ask, then what data is collecting collected through that process, then the development of algorithms, the business models that shape what kind of algorithms we will invest into developing because it takes a lot of effort and money and huge teams to do so. And then how they come out in society at the other end and how they are governed by laws and regulations and ethical frameworks. So that's the nice long social technical pipeline from data collection to algorithmic um, output. Perry I intervenes right from the beginning because clearly the data that is used to generate these images is biased. Um, so we are hoping to collect 10,000 words and um, through that generate new images. Anybody who does AI understands that 10,000 words is a drop in the bucket in an ocean actually, uh, because the number amount of data that OpenAI uses, for example, for DALI, which can generate very realistic images. And since then, um, a Chinese have, uh, China has uh, released a new one. I forget what that one is called. Israel also, right after that, a couple months later, uh, issued another one. So these are called text-to-image um, generators. And <clears throat> the amount of data they use is just absolutely incredible. However, the uh, even though 10,000 words is a drop in the bucket, it still allows us to do some pretty interesting research. So we're working with um, AI uh, research organizations, uh, for example, Ryerson University, will be uh, working with us with a, a PhD student who does information retrieval systems, which is basically how the, the, the algorithms will um, go get information and show deliver it to users. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a, a use of art that is, is, is fun. It allows people to engage with these notions and through different workshops, learn about what bias in AI is, as well as inform the 
AI students, people interested in AI, and how what what bias is and how they can intervene in the process. So that capacity to engage with these notions is extremely important because there's so many artists right now who tell me, I don't know how to code, so I, I can't I can't be part of this conversation. Well, yes, you can, and you really don't know, you don't need to know how to code to be part of this conversation. Sorry, that was a long answer. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you very much, Valentine. I will um I'll pop that link to Pair AI um in the comment section in the comments. So if any of our listeners uh, didn't pause to type it in, they can check it out by just clicking the link below. But um yeah, Chris, do you have anything to add to that on AI and um the impact it will play in the arts? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And and um so so I've I mean art's going through various paradigms these, these these journeys it takes as it figures out how it helps humans reflect on our our condition what's it like to be human um and what we've found particularly is that as the digital economy has grown so we, we've all adopted the phones we've adopted the apps um and sometimes we made those choices other times social pressure encourages to to adopt an app to be part of the conversation we feel we should adopt the app but at the same time, it's quite difficult to take lots of communities on a journey about what's really happening underneath that app, what's really happening. So the contribution I would make to what AI is giving to art, it's, it's a really fascinating starting point because if it starts with science fiction. It has all these really bizarre narratives around AI about what it could be, which is an easy way in because we've had them in cinema. We've had them in storytelling. So if you use that as a way in, rather than saying, what do um, digital economy economic models look like? Well, that's boring. If we go in through AI, it's a really fascinating starting point. But once you follow the rabbit, then you begin to get into precisely what Valentin is talking about, where we begin to find that AI isn't a fair proposition. It's often led with economic interests. It's loaded with biases. And actually, therefore, AI has become a bit of a, an awkward reverse Trojan horse. <laughs> so it's introduced itself, and now it's in the hands of critical thinkers, critical makers, people who are worried and concerned about how data is being moved around the applications that they just downloaded. So for me, it's just become this wonderful um, reverse Trojan horse. It reversed itself into our worlds, and oh, good grief, through it, we begin to understand good grief. I gave away my face the other week in that app. I gave away my address in that app. Oh, what have I just done? So I like the way <laughs> that it led us into an idea around what data can do, um, what data sets are. Um, so you imagine the literacy has gone up in the community, but along with it, it's began to give us a chance to uh, talk back. It's tooled us up in different ways. Yeah, that's um. Yeah, thank you very much, Chris. I think that's something in our strategy. Um, we are currently creating the the AI, Scottish AI playbook on kind of guidelines on how to use AI, how it should be used, and what it can be used for. That'll be released next year around the similar time as the conference. But yeah, one of the key things we're finding through across all kind of um, areas is that there needs to be some demystification of AI, this kind of um, pulling off that mask and showing, yeah, what does this app do? What do, what happens when you're with your data and kind of um, letting people understand AI more. And that's going to help us hopefully in the future. 
So for my next question, I'd like to get both of your opinions um, on this. It's quite a widely uh, debated idea. Do you both think that AI itself will ever be able to truly create art? Um, why don't we start with you on this one, Valentine? No, my answer, my short answer is no, definitely not. Um, we had that conversation for a full year going um, across Canada and meeting artists, and that's an ongoing conversation I have with our um, our collaborators and, and community. And on the contrary, I think there are a lot of intellectual property questions that um, are raised through the creation. So when you use an algorithm to generate um, art, um, I think there's interesting ways in which AI can showcase uh, unseen art or um, give different perspectives. So in museology, for example, there are very interesting uses of AI um, in, in that respect. Um, so we, the AI can be used to understand existing art better, but it has to be used to uh, bring more uh, information about existing um, artists. If we use, we have there's a really um, interesting uh, curator, um, British curator, Luba Elliott, um, who came to the uh, launching of our Art Impact AI workshops. And she was illustrating how, you know, they were using GANs with, from existing art. And she raised the question, she said, well, a lot of the new art is just a reflection of old art. So if you didn't have a lot of paintings of, of Black people, Black historical figures, well, then they don't, they're not, they don't come out as a result and as, as an algorithmic result. So how can we use AI reversely to showcase different perspectives of history instead of repeating the historical biases that exist in, in history? I think the human needs to intervene, whether it's an algorithmic art or when we use AI to um, inform legal decisions. There are more and more tools in our legal system that use AI as recommenders, but they will be based on old inform inf information, old societal systems. So if there's no human intervention, whether it's creative legal thinking in terms of achieving climate change or human rights and promoting actively human rights, um, AI will never have that genius of creativity. It can inform us, however, and highlight certain um, biases that exist. And then that is the exciting part, but the creative insight will come from humans. And it can become a dialogue. It can be very interesting to use AI. Interesting, fascinating answer. And uh, yeah, interesting to hear that it's a question that you've uh, taken into account before quite thoroughly by the sounds of it. Um, Chris, do you agree with that, that, you know, art won't create AI? The other way around, <laughs> that I, AI won't be able to create art? I don't know. I'd say some, I mean, I'd never say never, right? Um, I suppose it might depend on what you think AI is and what you think art is. We, we might start to say that... Um, well, we're starting to see in various creative industries that AIs are actually better at doing some things than humans. I mean, really mundanely in architecture, if you imagine you having to put um, different models of how you arrange furniture in, in big buildings, good grief, putting an intern on doing that is incredibly dull. And I suspect after three hours work, 
they've had enough. <laughs> so I, in some ways, I'd sooner hire an AI system to work with a human to begin to provoke and keep the imagination going. Um, so I think there are opportunities where we might want to think to what extent the more than human can be expressive. I'd like to think my cats are more than human. Whether I want to say that they're artists or they can produce art, uh, I'm not too, I'm quite relaxed about that actually. So I'm probably less keen to put a boundary around saying what AI is as though it's a machine or around what art is as a type of product that can be sold or owned or associated with some copyright. Actually, I think what's really interesting is that AI and artists are having to find themselves working in teams now. That, um, that muddying the water around ownership is fascinating. Um, and, and if you think about what, what the potential is when we, we think at scale, um, and I'm thinking about the planet here, I suppose, very hard for individual human beings to think about the data sets of a planet with 7 million people contributing carbon in different ways now, this very moment, could, if an AI can have the facility to look at scale across different data sets at scale, that point of view at scale must be a different, more than human view. Having said all of that, all of those data sets are constructed by humans. I mean, everything goes back to a human engineering team. So I'm being a bit playful here, but I do think it's possible to use a more than human lens to begin to start thinking what art creative production could become. If I, if I can just add one little um, feminist insight to, to that is, I'm extremely concerned by the fact that there are 95% men in AI. So those teams, they may be human, but who are the humans in those teams? So if we're looking at, the, is AI being creative? And we say, okay, well, maybe AI is being creative. We have to ask, who the humans are in those teams, because they're, as you know, talking about earlier, there's entire countries who are not part of this, this conversation right now. So what kind of creativity would we be um, seeing em emerge? Uh, so I, I think it's really important when we, we play with the human behind the machine and is the machine human. If it is human, it's very male and white right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, absolutely. And um, it's that potential to what do, do is it possible to think of an art intervention that can work back on that is a possibility of beginning to employ a radical um, algorithm that really beyond all of the push of the people who control to begin to think of subverting that that data set. Um, I don't know what that looks like or feels like, but as a, yeah, a, a, an extremely feminist, um, um, a, people of color, um, almost a positive <laughs> discrimination that begins to, and I, I don't know if we can trust it in the hands of the white men at the moment anyway. <laughs> I, I just think it's not being funded. So therefore right now it's not possible. If we look at the AI investments, uh, public investment in Canada alone right now, and I think it's very similar everywhere in the world. Um, in the past years, we had 800 million in Canada, in, and the, those investments went to the for-profit sector. The for-profit sector, the tech sector is, again, extremely, um, 
predominantly male. There's not a, lo a lot of women in AI. There's not a lot of women in, in tech in general. Um, less age diversity, less cultural diversity, less regional diversity in that eight, where that 800 million is actually going and, and funding because data curation, data collection processes, data annotation is a very lengthy, expensive process that is rarely funded. When we look at how much money went to civil society organizations and talk about public funds, there were zero million dollars that was invested and handed out to civil society organizations that strive for sustainable development goals, that strive for you know climate action, uh, reconciliation. It's a term that's used a lot in, but that's used in Canada to um, address the trauma that was uh, um, caused to indigenous populations here and reconciliation processes. So that, that requires funding if we want to change the data that informs the, the algorithm. So right now, I think the question is, is very justified. Unfortunately, we, when you look at who's being empowered to actually um, collect the data and use algorithms, there's a huge imbalance, making it a very theoretical, unfortunately, question right now. No, good, good, good point. Absolutely. Wow. Well, that yeah, that take, could have taken us off in so many different directions about kind of you know how, um, you, what power at the moment AI has. You know whether it can be creative. How close is it to human level AI? Will we ever get to that kind of area? And yeah, your point about the gender balance is a great one. And actually, our next um, our next podcast, we have a research um, Amanda Curry, who's been working on chatbots and the kind of gender bias and abuse that chatbots receive, and how that kind of the implications of that. So that's another conversation I'm looking forward to on that side. Um, we're getting near time having to wrap up, I'm afraid. So I'm going to uh, get back to my questions, and the, the final question is bringing us back to Scotland's AI strategy. Um, we put humans at the center of our strategy, people, you know, that's what's most important to us. So, and the three main kind of pillars of our strategy are trustworthy, ethical, and inclusive AI. So I wanted to ask you both, um, what these mean to you and how important do you think it is that kind of any AI technology embodies these principles? So Valentin, if you could start to that. Um, well, I congratulate you and I look forward to seeing the strategy when uh, it uh, comes out next in 2022. Um, I think all the values that you put forward are extremely important. If I can um, allow to zoom in onto one, I think inclusive uh, definitely is important. I think inclusiveness will bring a diversity of perspectives that will, um, by definition, bring about more transparency. Um, and if I can allow myself a little publicity, um, November 18th, 19th, uh, we're holding a two-day conference, which will be virtual, actually hybrid. And so those who are in Montreal, by any chance, feel free to drop in. Um, AI and a social mission really focuses on those same values, so transparency and inclus inclusivity, inclusion. Um, and we'll be talking, uh, diving into uh, very specific perspectives of natural resource management in digital economies, having a gendered perspectives to that. Uh, we're talking about an ocean of possibilities and who is on board, who will be taking part of that, of the benefits of AI and the value that um, AI can bring. We'll be talking uh, with multidisciplinary teams and panels 
uh, about um, bias in AI, what the solutions are. Uh, there's really interesting startups who are working to address that. Uh, there's Whale Seeker who's using AI to protect whales. Uh, so we have researchers, startups, and artists, and uh, civil society organizations uh, for two days having those really interesting discussions. And we'll be uh, sharing the results of the call for um, proposals uh, that has an AI art uh, grant attached um, to it. So I'd like to in invite the, the, our listeners to, to join us then. Thanks very much, Valentin. Yes, I'll, I'll pop a link to that conference in the in the comment section as well. I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, it sounds like you've got a really great lineup and really nice topics as well. So Chris, um, I guess uh, to you for the final word on the same same question, kind of trustworthy, ethical, inclusive. What do these mean to you and um, how important do you think they are for AI technology going forward? Well, likewise, I think Valentin, you know, celebrates you in terms of picking the three, some three, three core pillars, um, you know, trustworthy, ethical, inclusive and economic will be the ones that other people will be thinking of. But I think staying with the core three, I think what's really interesting for your listeners is thinking if those are contracts then. So um, if Scotland's AI strategy promises to deliver a supportive network across um, licenses to operate, so software AI software that has a license to operate that delivers trust is ethical and is inclusive, then that's a really fascinating contract that a, a country chooses to take. What's interesting about artists, I think, do, they're very, very good at spotting value creation. Well, a lot of businesses look at value creation, but also looking at value destruction. So keeping tuning in, when is an AI introduced where trust was destroyed? where trust, when, when ethics were challenged. So there's gonna, you're gonna get, I think as Valentin's pointed out, you've got a groundswell of business money backing huge AI projects. So what you're gonna have to be very sensitive about is watching, they'll always promise value creation. I guarantee that, that'll come on the front of their bus or the front of their Tesla. We're gonna create value. And your responsibility then, and perhaps involving artists, is to think about, please help us identify value destruction. Think about the values and, and, and the principles that Valentin has introduced, where there are biases inherent, um, people are, are not included, challenging ethical um, issues, and trust is ultimately lost. Because if you want to, probably a, a civic society and an economy that's thriving in Scotland with those values at a core, be very tuned to where you think value creation, but also value destruction takes place. But fingers crossed. And um, I'm sure it's a collective effort. Yeah, I think that's a, facet, yeah, a great um, way of framing it, the value destruction and identifying the destruction of value, not just values in capital and economic value, but actual values and where it's you know destroying our values. So yeah, that was a, a fascinating conversation. And um uh, I just want to thank you both for joining me. It's been really a pleasure to to have you both, and I look forward to collaborating in the future and on further things. And yeah, I hope you have both have a good rest of your day. It was really thank nice you. meeting you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Really interesting conversation. Lovely to meet you, Valentina. Great work. Um, super stuff. Thank you.